Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. We continue our walk through the book of 1 Samuel. As you're finding your place there, I want to say happy Mother's Day to all our moms this morning. We're grateful for all of you. And for all the ladies that are here today, we have a gift we'd like to give you. Uh, so if you're in the venue service, Reach Church DeSoto, or here in this room, uh, we have a gift. You'll get a little gift card for a buntlet cake, and uh, we pray that will be a blessing to you. Uh, if not, give it to somebody else, and it'll be a blessing to them. Um, but uh, it's uh, just a simple way that we can say thank you and honor uh, specifically our moms and all the ladies that are here today. You're a blessing to all of us, and we're grateful for you. We turn our attention to uh, 1 Samuel 22 this morning, and you remember the context of this, that David has been anointed uh, to be king, and yet everything uh, seems upside down. He won a great victory over Goliath, and it appeared that he was on this upward trajectory, and then suddenly the bottom falls out, and it seems like the more he trusts in God, the more uh, he sinks lower and lower. Nothing's going his way. Um, he can't go back, can't go back to his wife, his friend Jonathan, can't go back to Samuel. In kind of a moment of panic, he goes to Gath, and there he's exposed. I think he thought, maybe I can blend in over here, and God won't let him be there. And so he escapes, has to act like a madman. He's humbled, but he escapes out of there. By God's grace, he gets out, and he goes to the cave of Adullam. You want to know how David really feels in the cave? You can read it in Psalm 142. He tells you. You get to read his prayer journal. And David is in a place where he feels like no matter what he tries, nothing works. No matter how much he trusts, he prays, he trusts, and yet life just seems to get more difficult. He hunkers down this cave. I think he just desired, God pushes him, I think, to some extent into this cave, but probably desired just to get away from everybody. You ever been to the cave of Adullam? Life just doesn't seem to be working out. In fact, it almost seems like the Lord is against you. You know the promises that God has made to you in his word, but the more you seem to trust in everything you try, nothing works. It just seems to get more and more difficult. That's where David finds himself, and what we're going to learn this morning is God has ordained every aspect of it. Uh, one of the things that you'll see David lean heavy upon is just the sovereignty of God. God, I'm trusting you know where I'm at, and and you're doing something. Doesn't mean it was any less difficult. But God is going to make David great. And sometimes the path to greatness means we have to go through some fires. Any of y'all ever um, hear of Jerry Clower? Any of y'all ever listen to a little Jerry Clower? Oh, yeah, we got some. I knew Denny would. I knew it. Some of y'all young folks have no idea what I'm talking about. Grand Ole Opry, Jerry Clower. He'd tell these stories about the Ledbetter family. Uh, you remember the Ledbetters? We need good storytelling, you know? We don't have enough storytelling these days, but Clower could tell these stories. He told the stories about the Ledbetter family. And he told this one story about the Ledbetters, Uncle Versi, uh, Aunt Pat. Um, they live in this little town in Mississippi. 
And there's a fire that breaks out in the downtown area, one of the little shops downtown just going up in flames. It was in the midst of a drought. They didn't have any way to drop the water, had a volunteer fire department. And so they're really just left to sit there and watch this thing go up in smoke. And in fact, they're, they're afraid it's gonna spread out. The whole town's gonna be lost. So they're sitting there, they're, they're, they're just wailing. They don't know what else to do. And all of a sudden, they hear this noise behind them coming over the hill is Uncle Versi in his truck. Aunt Pat's there, and you remember all the boys, they're hanging off the fenders. You got Arnell and Burnell and W.L. and Lunell and I think Clovis. I can't remember all, but they're just hanging off the fenders. They're flapping. This thing's coming over the hill, and it is flying down this hill. And they realize he's coming faster. We better just get out of his way. They kind of part the crowd, and he drives right into the fire. Like right smack dab pops up on the curb right into the fire and they proceed, they, they just commence to getting out and just trying to put that, that fire out. They, you know, Aunt Pat, Pet's got her bonnet and she's flapping and they got the coveralls and they throw them off and they start flapping. She's like stomp over there. They start stomping. It's just a miracle. They just keep fighting their way from the inside of that fire out and they end up putting the fire out. And the town goes crazy. They're clapping their hands Uncle Versi is the hero. He has saved the day. He has saved. We've never seen such an act of courage to drive right into a fire like that. And so they desire to take up a collection for him. They pass the hat. They take up a collection. They get $31. Uncle Versi could always use a little money. And so they give their money to Uncle Versi. And they ask him, Uncle Versi, what in the world? What, what, what's the, what, what are you going to do with that $31? He said, well, I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to fix the brakes on that truck. <laughs> Uncle Versi, he didn't set out to be great that day. But he was thrust into the fire, and he was forced to become great. Listen, David, he didn't set out to be king. He didn't set out to be great. But God's going to thrust him in the fire. And through that fire, God is going to make David great. And some of you need to be encouraged by this today because you too find yourself in the cave of Adullam. And no matter what you seem to do, the situation seems to get more difficult and more painful. Know this today, just as it was for David, God is sovereign over every aspect of your life. Nothing comes into your life apart from his sovereign will. But God's goal for you is not just to make you happy and comfortable. God wants to make you great. Isn't it sad? Most times we don't want to be great. We just want to be comfortable. God says, I'm not going to let you be comfortable. I'm going to make you great. And sometimes that means we have to go through a fire. So with that in mind, let's pray together. Let's watch what God does here. Father, we thank you for your word that speaks so plainly and relevantly to us to our day. What David experiences, we will experience what was going on in this nation sometimes seems to be going on in our nation. And so we pray that today we would draw encouragement as David did from the sovereignty of God and the kind providence and steadfast love of the Lord. God, encourage us today to cling to you no matter what, even when things seem upside down, when everything seems to be going in a contrary direction to what you have said you would do, I pray that we would cling to the, to the knowledge that you are in control and your plans and your purposes will not be stopped. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Well, look with me, verse 1, chapter 22, it says, So David departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. So in the midst of this cave-like experience, God is going to encourage David. He gives him little pieces of encouragement. It's not that the situation necessarily changes, but God encourages him in various ways. And, And this is what we look for as we find ourselves in discouraging places where everything seems upside down and nothing is working. We're looking for God to encourage us and And so here, miraculously, because you remember, his brothers weren't very encouraging in the early part of his life. Certainly when he went out to meet Goliath, they thought he was just being selfish and wanted a little attention. But now it appears their eyes have been opened and they see David as the Lord's anointed. And they just kind of begin to be drawn to him. And what of an encouragement is David just kind of sits alone in a cold, damp cave. All of a sudden, walks in his brother's. To say, we're with you. We're with you, David. And then it doesn't end there. In verse 2, everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented gathered to him and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. And this is amazing. I don't don't know what the, the reaction of David was. He's got some of his family and maybe he expected some of his brothers to show up. That's what good family does. They come to encourage you in difficult times. But all of a sudden, these random people start knocking on his door. What are you here for? Well, listen, we're just kind of discontented with the current state, and we, we somehow believe that you are the Lord's anointed. So you kind of get these outcasts from society, the downtrodden, the distressed, the, 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 those who are in debt, and their, their eyes are open to David as the Lord's anointed, just as Jonathan's eyes were open to the Lord's anointed. So these people begin to just be drawn to David. I think the more, more and more David was, was uh, overwhelmed. David didn't put the word out. It's not like David said, hey, everybody who doesn't like King Saul, come over here with me. No, it just appears as Scripture presents it that these people were walking through life and they finally begin to see that this Saul guy, I'm not content with this. And I'm not content with the state of our nation. I'm not content with where we're at. And their eyes begin to be open to the reality that David is the Lord's anointed and they're just drawn to him like a moth to a flame. And they show up at the door and say, we're with you. And he became commander, meaning these individuals. Does David, again, at this moment, does David look like a king? No, he's in a cave, which caves were often used as tombs. He looks like a dying man. And yet they're coming before him and bending the knee in recognition that you are God's king. Now, does this remind you of anybody today? Groups of people to a king who has been exiled or a king who had been placed in a tomb. But there's people out in the world that are discontented with the world. and that They're in debt to sin. They're distressed by the things of life. And somehow by means of the work of the Spirit, their eyes are open to a king, King Jesus, as God's true anointed Messiah. And they just begin to be drawn to him like a moth to a flame. And they come to him, a king who has died, a king who is exiled, a king who has gone away. And they bend their knee to him as Lord and Master. I mean, you're really getting a beautiful foreshadowing of Jesus Christ and the church. That's who we are. You can put over this, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That's us. 
spiritually bankrupt, in debt in our sin, grieved of our sin, distressed by life, discontented with an evil slave leader and Satan who's driving our lives hard and we see a king who says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you a rest. And we came to Christ. I would have loved to have just seen this. I would have loved to have seen the reaction on David's face. I don't know where these people are even coming from. It reminded me of the Noah's Ark and one of those passages of scripture I just would have loved to have seen those animals come to the ark. I mean, what, what went on? Like just two giraffes out in a field. I, I don't know about you, Bob, but I think there's a judgment coming. And that ark, I don't know why, but I am just drawn to that ark of salvation. And they start walking and they see some cows. Mm, what are you doing? I'm going to the ark. I don't know. But isn't that the church? We didn't think our way into it. It's not like one day we woke up and said, boy, I want to follow Jesus. Our eyes were just opened to Christ as our Savior in the depth of our sin. And we were just drawn to him. We were just inexplicably drawn to this king. And we trusted him, made him our Lord and made him our Savior. Well, that's what's going on here. Then in verse 3, you see, and David went from there to Mizpah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So there's some, there's some excitement there at the end because he knows God is going to do something. Because sometimes you just need a little encouragement from people around you. Now he's got 400 people and he's like, God's up to something. I don't understand it. Still a painful situation. I'm in the cave. But God is something. But he thinks, here, here's what he knows. There's a lot of things that David doesn't know what to do. There's a lot of things that David, I, don't, I can't go backwards. I can't go forward. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. These people are showing up. But one thing I do know, God has commanded me to honor my, mo- my mother and my father. And so here a king who is afraid of death, who appears to be dying, will turn his attention to his mom and his dad and say, I'm going to take care of my parents. I'm going to make sure they're taken care of. And God had provided a connection with the Moabite people. How is David connected to the Moabite people? There's a whole book of the Bible about it. Starts with an R, sounds like Ruth. Ruth. And, and Ruth was what? She was a Moabitess. It's written to tell us about this faithful woman who converted to Judaism and trusted in God and married a guy named Boaz. And they're going to have a son who's going to have a son who's going to have a son who's going to have a son named Jesse who will have a son named David. And God had provided a connection with the Moabite people hundreds of years before David was born so that at this moment he'd have a place of provision and safety for his parents. Now, don't tell me God ain't good. That God would maneuver circumstances in your life hundreds of years before you were born to make sure you have provision for the day in which you're in right now. Don't you think that was encouragement to David? What am I gonna do with my parents? That's right. I got a place of refuge in Moab because of my great-great-grandma, Ruth. And I'll take them over there. But there's an important reminder for us in these, in these things. When you're in a place where you don't know what to do, just be faithful in the things that God has clearly told you to do. That's what you do. There's a lot of things we don't know to do. The God, Bible doesn't give us specific details on. But the Bible gives us a lot of clarity on very simple things. I, you speak to a young man or woman who's going through difficult times. The questions are, are you reading your Bible? That's, you don't have to pray about that. You reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you sharing the gospel with your friends? Are you being faithful in the things? Are you you honoring your parents? Are you you doing those things? And it was so providential as I was studying for this that this 
This, this part occurs on Mother's Day. You remember there's another individual that we know of in Scripture who when he was hanging on a cross and he was about to die, what did he do? He looked down and he saw his mom Mary. This is what you call perfect moral righteousness. David is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who when he is dying, rather than think about himself, which is what I would have done, He's thinking about how do I make sure my mom is taken care of? And he says to John, John, before you go off to save the world, you take care of my mom. It's so important on this Mother's Day to be reminded of this very simple command that God has given to us to take care of our parents, to honor our mother and our father. You wanna do something to be incredibly encouraging to your mom today? You're looking for something to do on Mother's Day? Some of you forgot. You don't got nothing, all right? You're in trouble. Can I help you out this morning? Can I help you out? You wanna do something to encourage your mom? You pick up a phone today and you call your mom and you say to her, no matter what happens, I may not have much, but I'll do everything I can to make sure you're taken care of for the rest of your life. Because that's what God has called me to do very clearly in his word. That's a part of our witness as believers, amen? How in the world can we tell a world about the gospel of Jesus Christ and then neglect to care for our parents when God has given us a clear command? Honor your father and your mother. So that's my Mother's Day deal. I mean, they've got some applause there. I think the moms let out in that applause. Um, <laughs> notice I didn't say dads. Dads can fend for themselves. They'll do whatever, you know. But mama, you make sure you take care of mama. But David is just doing what he knows to do, and that's to take care of his parents. And so he sit, provides for them. Verse 4, then he left them uh, with the king of Moab. And, he stayed with, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. So he's made sure they're taken care of. And then in verse five, the prophet Gad said to David, do not stay in the stronghold, depart and go in the land of Judah. So David departed and went to the forest of Herath. So he, David's in this cave, he doesn't know what to do. And Gad is a prophet. It's apparent that Samuel has started kind of a school of prophets so that now that there's people who are delivering the word of God to the people when there was a drought of God's word in the land prior to Samuel. And so now there's these prophets and one of those prophets shows up to David to, to proclaim the word of God to him. And his name is Gad. Gad will become, become a tribe of Israel. Um, but Gad, you know what the name Gad means? It means fortunate. means lucky. I thought this is so I love God's word. Isn't it funny? David is struggling. He's discouraged. A little bit of uh, the weight is lifted and taking care of mama. And who knocks on his door? Hey, how can I help you? Yeah, I'm here. My name's Lucky. <laughs> right on. I needed some encouragement. And, and I just picture, I don't know if you do this when you read God's word, but I, pick, I like to picture these individuals. Like I love to, and it probably is erroneous, like one day I'm gonna get to heaven and wanna see what these guys look like. I was studying Obadiah this past week. I'm like, now I really wanna meet Obadiah because I got a picture in my mind of what Obadiah looks like and it's probably not anything like what he is. But, but I love to picture these people and I picture Lucky showing up and you know who I picture when I picture Lucky? Any of y'all remember Jerry Sheridan, who's with Jesus now? I think Gad was Jerry Sheridan. He, you know, Jerry always had a smile on his face. He was optimistic. He was always like, we're gonna go get him, Chad. I, I met with him every month just so he could like, encourage me. You don't sit down. We're gonna go. And Gad shows up and says, listen, you've been sitting long enough. Let's go. It's time to move on. You know, we, 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 we can't sit. I mean, I love uh, 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't sit in the valley of shadow of death. Do you sit there too long? You'll get depressed and discouraged. We are a people who keep moving forward. We don't dwell on the past. 
We move forward, and that's what Gad Lucky shows up and says, you're not going to sit here. God has not given you a spirit of fear and timidity, but of sound mind and good judgment. It's time to move forward in confidence because you are the Lord's anointed, and God is with you, and God is for you. And a people who know in their heart that God is for them and God is with them, don't sit down and fear. Fear doesn't motivate the decisions of our heart. We move forward in confidence and in faith that God is with us. So wasn't that a word that David needed to hear? No more cave of Adullam. Let's go back to Israel, where you belong. We're not in exile. That's your house. You go home. So he sends him on to the forest of Hereth. And then in verse 6, then Saul heard that David and the men who were with him had been discovered. Now Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height of his spear, on, uh, on the height with his spear in hand, and all his servants were standing around him. So when you start getting 400 guys gathered up to you, it's hard to stay in hiding. And apparently that Saul has informants in the land. They're trying to figure out where David is, and he's been made aware. There he is. I know where he's at. And isn't it interesting, right here, you're going to see Saul sitting under a tamarisk tree, a palm tree, a place of worship. He's, he's, now, he's paranoid because he's always got a spear in his hand, doesn't he? He's always ready to pin somebody against the wall. What's interesting, at the end of his life, he's going to be pinned against the wall. But he's paranoid. But, but the guy is in a place of prosperity and blessing while God's truly anointed king, David, is what? Hiding out in a cave. That is a picture of an up, upside down society. That's what happens when the state and the government goes rogue. Guess what happens? Evil men flourish and good godly men run and are in hiding. Does that sound like a place we know today? The government and the state is established to put the fear of God in those who would do evil and bring blessing to those who would do good. And you've got a messed up world when good people are for fear of their lives and righteous people are helped to prosper. That's what you have right here in the nation. It's upside down. It's not right. But that's where he's at. Verse 7, Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Here now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to, you, give to all of you uh, fields and vineyards, will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Um, Saul can't understand why these people would want to go be with David. David's got nothing. What can he give you? He can't give you land. He can't give you houses. He can't even give you a position because he doesn't even have an army. He, doesn't, he does, has no control. He's got no position. Why, did, why would you guys want to follow you? Can he give you what I give you? I mean, here you see a leader who has to pay for people to be loyal to him. When you have a, a, any leader who has to uh, enforce loyalty, that's a bad leader. When you got a guy who has to say, I'm going to bribe you and pay for your allegiance to me, that's a bad leader. True godly leaders who are in the spirit of Christ are people who are servant leaders and lay down their lives and people say, that kind of leader, I'll die for them. And so Saul, you see a leader who abuses, a leader who uses and has to purchase the allegiance of his people. And he can't stand to understand why anybody would follow a guy who can't promise you anything. Does the world sometimes look at us like we're crazy? You guys lay down your life for a king that, that by your allegiance to him, you become a stranger in a foreign land <laughs> and in many ways you're mistreated. Why would, you, why would you follow him? You know why we follow him? Because he's God's true anointed king and we know that he will rule one day. 
And so these people are going to, to David as their king because he may not give us houses and lands now, but one day he'll rule and it'll work out really well for us. So he can't understand, verse eight, for all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse and there's none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is to this day. Do you hear his whining? This is so sad when a man in position of leadership only whines about all the things he can't have. Nobody likes me. Nobody's loyal to me. And he's paranoid that everybody's out to get him. Leaders, if they're not careful, they'll put themselves in positions so that they so isolate themselves from everybody else in their lives that they begin to think that everybody's plotting against them. They see a conspiracy around every corner. They start to catastrophize. That's what you call that. They're thinking about things that aren't even true, that aren't even real, and that's what Saul's doing. Half the stuff he says here isn't even true, but he's beginning to make it up in his mind because he's listening to the voice of the enemy. If you detach yourself from God, you have no security. And so then you become paranoid, um, you become insecure, you become prideful and arrogant and you're afraid that everybody's out to get you. So he's upset, nobody's disclosed to me, but there is one who will, verse nine, then Doug, the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Ahimelech, the son of Ahitab. So Doag, he's an Edomite, Edomites were the enemies of God's people, hated God's people, but most importantly, you remember, the Edomites come from Esau, Jacob and Esau. And you remember, Esau is the one who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Meaning, he, <laughs> he bypasses spiritual things and just loves the things of this earth. He's a carnal individual. And here is a descendant of Esau, and he's more concerned about the earthly and the material than he is the spiritual and the eternal. And so he's willing to betray God's anointed to advance his own position. And so he begins to say this, I saw these things. And in verse 10, he lies. He inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. There's an embellishment here on, on really what David actually did. Uh, he's saying he inquired of the Lord for him. In other words, Saul, he's inquiring of the Lord to learn where you're at so he can come and kill you, which wasn't true. David wasn't going to kill, kill Saul. He, he, we'll see time and time again he won't attempt to kill Saul. He's saying he made provisions. The word provisions there, there's an implication that he was trying to get provisions for his military. But you remember the provisions that David got were five loaves of bread. And so he tells some truth, but he embellishes in order to rage the king even further. Verse 11, then the king sent someone to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's household, the priests who were in Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, here, am, here I am, my lord. And Saul then said to him, why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of the Lord for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is to this day? And then Ahimelech answered the king and said, and who among all your servants is as faithful as David? And even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house. Ahimelech, it's interesting here, he knows his life is on the line. And yet he doesn't defend his actions, he defends who? He defends the Lord's anointed David. What a powerful picture here. He's more concerned about the, the reputation of David than he is his own personal reputation. And so he says to Saul, listen, nobody knows this better than you. David won the victory. Nobody's more faithful than David. He's your son-in-law. You gave him your daughter in marriage and you made him captain over your guard. He's saying, Saul, there's no, this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. 
Verse 15, did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing of all, at all of this whole affair. He says, I, I inquired of the Lord for him, but did, did I just start doing this? The implication is, Himelech says, I've been inquiring for David shows up at the tabernacle all the time. Meaning David is a faithful church attender. He's there every Sunday. Himelech's like, Saul, I ain't seen you in church in a long time. But David comes every week. He didn't just show up when he was in the trial. David was there every week. He inquired, he wanted to hear the word of God. He was faithful in all that he did. And so Ahimelech is going to remain faithful to the Lord's anointed. He will become a defense. He'll, he'll be a witness testifying. Um, it makes me think of Paul before Agrippa. You remember Paul before Agrippa and he's testifying to Jesus. And uh, you remember Agrippa says, are you tr <laughs> trying to convert me? Paul says, you're doggone right. And everybody else in the room too. And here is... Ahimelech defending the Lord's anointed, saying he's perfect. Well, what is the reaction of the king Saul in verse 16? But the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's household. Here is um, the king of Israel who will now become an enemy of God's people. And there's an important reminder here that all of us need to know today. God's enemies cannot abide God, but they cannot also abide God's people. Meaning the enemy hates Christ, but you need to know this, he also hates you. And scripture says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. For Saul, it's not just that he dislikes David. It's that I want to kill anybody that shows any level of loyalty to David. And the same holds true today. Listen, there's a world of people out there that they don't just not like Christ. They want to annihilate God's people. That's their goal. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about Israel or the church. That you have a world and an enemy out there who wants to destroy God's People, that is the goal. It's important for us to remember this today in the world in which we live, that the, 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 the things that we're facing, the events that are going on, we need to be very careful that we don't view these things simply as political worldviews. This is not Democrat, re Republican, and I'm not saying good or evil is on either side, but we need to stop looking at all these things through the lens of, 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 of partisanship and, and worldviews and certain socioeconomic situations. Listen, the battle in this world is good versus evil. That's the way it's always been. This is a world that hates the Lord and the, hates his anointed and hates his people and seeks to destroy them wherever they find. And not just destroy them, but totally annihilate them. And so that's Saul's desire here. Verse 17, the king said to the guards who were attending him, turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to him. Well, listen to this, but the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priest of the Lord. I love this. I love these servants here. King, we recognize your authority, but we also recognize a higher authority than you. We, we ultimately answer to God, and we're not gonna disobey him, and this ain't right. It's a good example to all of us. Listen, we are to be the best citizens in our nation, but when our government tells us to oppose God, we say no. Because ultimate submission is only due God. 
And what you have here is civil disobedience. They just say, we ain't doing that. You can do what you want to with this king, but we ain't go- we're not crossing that line. But there is a guy who will. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priests. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Doeg, enemy of God's people, strikes them down. Verse 19, and he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword. Both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, sheep, he struck down with the edge of the sword. It is total annihilation. It is a travesty. And you look at this situation and you say, boy, it looks like the priestly line in that city, the faithful of God's priests are going to be totally annihilated. It's all gone. We're going to lose them all. We're going to destroy the priestly line. You remember there was another, uh, there's a guy named Haman Remember in the book of Esther? And he says, I'm going to call a decree. We're going to kill all Israel. We're going to wipe them out. And you read that story, and it looks like, boy, it looks like Israel's done, doesn't it? Right, there we go. They're all going to die. But what happens? God has a plan, and the tables are turned. Every instance, Pharaoh with the Egyptians, or Pharaoh with the Israelites, we're going to kill all, these boys, are, this nation are becoming a threat. We're going to kill all the infant boys. And he enacts that decree. But what happens? One of them got away. You remember uh, King Herod, uh, New Testament? We're going to kill all, because we want to destroy the Messiah. We don't want Messiah showing up. Well, we're going to kill all the boys. What happens? God's appointed Messiah. What happens? He gets away. There's an important picture here. Listen, God's people, listen, cannot be destroyed by God's enemies. God's people cannot be destroyed by God's enemies. God always has a remnant. Always. Always has a remnant. So, Doeg's thinking, I got him. I destroyed all the priests. Well, what happens in verse 20? But one son of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped. Isn't God good? And he fled after David. In fact, Abiathar is going to be the one who will carry the ark of God for David all the days that David reigns. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Verse 22, then David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doag the Edomite was there. He said, I knew that sorry Edomite. Knew that guy. He was there that he would surely tell Saul, I brought about the death of every person in your father's household. As I read that, I read that David weeping. He realizes in that moment, I sinned. And my sin didn't just hurt me. It killed a lot of good people. And he is grieved over it. Now, you want to read some of the Psalms that David writes about these things. You'll see that he clings to two things. Listen, we all make mistakes. We all sin. And God is gracious to us in the midst of our sin. And the two things that David will cling to is the sovereignty of God and the steadfast love of God. God, even in my mistakes, you're sovereign. And I trust in your steadfast love that you love me and you know be my name. But this will be a scar on David's life that will go with him. It'll be a limp in his life for the rest of his life. Any of y'all got some instances in your life you'd say, boy, God's done great things, but I can look back when I was a teenager or or maybe when I was first married and, and you wouldn't even really want anybody to know, but you know in your heart and it's given you a limp and that limp will stay with you for the rest of your life as a reminder of God's grace and his steadfast love. 
Well, then verse 23, David says to Abiathar, stay with me. Don't be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life, for you're safe with me. David says, come over here. He says to Abiathar, the guy who is looking for you, he's also looking for me. And we'll stick together. We'll, we'll become, a, we'll become a, a united front. It makes me think of Jesus who said, you know what? They hated me. They're going to hate you. Come on. We'll be a body to a body part, a bride to a bridegroom, a sheep to a shepherd. And there's a unity between God and his people. And David is becoming a refuge for those who are being drawn out and recognize the Lord's anointed. Really simply, the picture here in this passage, you have a group of people being called out. God, in the midst of David's pain, in the midst of David's trial, in the midst of David's fire, is doing something that's unexpected. He's drawing a band of people together, and they're going to bend the knee to a king who's not yet been established in an earthly way. He's been anointed as God's king, but he's not set up his kingdom on earth. And so these people, they're going to leave everything to follow a king who's now in exile. And they're going to look like idiots. They're going to be strangers in a foreign land. They're going to be marked individuals. They will be persecuted. They'll have to run at times. And some of them are going to die. But they are trusting in the promise that this king that they bent the knee to, one day he will reign earthly. One day he will be king. And when that day comes, we won't look so stupid anymore that we'll have been faithful to the Lord's anointed and we'll be righteously rewarded on that day. Does that sound like anybody? A group of people who our eyes have been opened to Jesus Christ as the Lord's anointed. We've come to him. People who were spiritually bankrupt, distressed, discontented. We've bent the knee to a king who's been exiled, who has gone away. And the world looks at us like we got three heads. What are you doing Given up everything for a king who died, rose, and isn't even here. But we do so knowing what? That one day he will reign. He is coming back. He will establish his kingdom here on earth. And on that day, we won't look so foolish anymore. And we will, as God's faithful, we will be rewarded. Listen to me today. The encouragement to us is stay faithful. Stay faithful. In a world where everything looks like it's upside down, know this. The encouragement from this story is God. Just as he was in control in a world that was upside down there, God is in control in a world that is upside down today. And everything, know it, trust it, take it to the bank, everything is happening according to his perfect ordained will. Our job is to be faithful. We will not be moved. We will trust in Christ. We will follow him. If they take our lives, so be it. But he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. <laughs> Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray for anybody here today that's never trusted in Christ. Maybe there's some here today that their eyes are being opened as we speak. It says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. Maybe they're being convicted of their own sin and their own need of a savior. I pray that they would run to Jesus, the Lord's anointed, 
There's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. I pray that they would hear the voice of Christ saying to them today, come to me, all you who are weary. There's some folks here today, I know they're weary of sin. They're tired of the consequence. They've been beat down by sin and Satan. Maybe they've had momentary pleasure, but it has led them to a place of discontentment. There's a way that seems right unto man, but in the end it leads to destruction. And they have tasted the consequences of sin and disobedience. And they're, they're tired and they're seeing the depth of their sin. And they're hearing the voice of Christ say to them this morning, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. They would submit their life to him, bend the knee. And they would know today his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. Lord, for those of us that do know you, I pray that we would cling to you all the more tightly today. When we don't know what to do, I pray that we would just be faithful in what you've clearly taught us to do. We'd be faithful to read your word, faithful to pray, faithful to share the gospel with those around us, faithful in the things that you've clearly commanded us to do, knowing that all this stuff that we worry and fret about It's not going to last. One day you will rule and reign and whatever sacrifice we make here on this earth will pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we will know one day in your presence. So help us to lay it all aside and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. We pray this in his name. Amen.